The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Let me tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4, featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, so much drama happening in Atlanta. Hate to see it. Hate to see it. Uh, We had to leave the show with it. A latest on the Trey Young saga. We discussed new changes to the league as well that'll allow foreign countries to own NBA teams. Say what? What does that mean going forward? And we also asked the question, is the NBA looking at a lockout sooner or later? Sooner than you think, folks. We also get into various trade rumors, how J.B. Bickerstaff might be the most underrated coach in the league. And we also talk about Joe Mazzulla head coach of the Boston Celtics, giving his first interview since the whole Ime Udoka issue went down in Boston. Issue is doing a lot of work there. So much shit to talk about, Nick, so drop that motherfucking beat. Oh, yes! Warm your hands up on this hot tea. It appears there is a power struggle going on in Atlanta, again, actually, between world-class chucker Trey Young and head coach Nate McMillan. Nope, not not Lloyd Pierce, the, the last coach that got fired because of his drama with Trey Young, the new coach that replaced that coach because of his drama with Trey Young. Fun, fun stuff. As everyone knows, last weekend Trey Young had a run-in uh, with Nate McMillan that led him to ghosting the Atlanta Hawks game. Yeah, ghosting, meaning not showing up for work <laughs> on Sunday night. Like he just does uh, hit it and quit it. Just like, literally, I'm, I'm here, where you up, and then had a nice night, nothing, right? Like nothing. No response. It's what, what was it, like hit him and the text go green, you know? That's where it was. Why he went ghost mode is now at the heart of the story. According to Shams, looking at you, camera, everybody's giving me a hard time being like, it's Shams, it's Sham, Sharania. It's not. What are you, Rube? What are you, uh, 
What are you, a country bumpkin? What, did you fall off a log? Like, come on now. It's Shams. Shams Sharanya. I know it's not easy to say, so you just say Shams. But don't, don't murder me in my own comment section because I know the guy's name. Anyway, according to Shams, issues between Trey and Nate culminated in a telltale moment. I love that word. Telltale moment. Inside the Hawks practice facility on Friday. All-NBA guard Trey Young and coach Nate McMillan had an exchange at Friday's shoot-around that led Trey Young choosing not to attend the team's win at home over Denver at State Farm Arena. Here's the tea. Warm your hands up on that hot tea. While Young was receiving treatment for a sore shoulder, McMillan asked him if he was able to play. Trey literally said, I'll tell you later. I don't know. Not sure. Well, considering that you actually have to, I don't know, game plan uh, as to whether your players are going to play, uh, Nate was not happy with that answer. Not a great answer, honestly. He said, all right, well, I'm going to plan on you not playing. And if you're okay, we'll either have you come off the bench or, I don't know, just don't bother showing up for the game. That was like a loose thing, like don't bother showing up for the game, and he didn't. He took that quite literally. Trey Young decided not only to take the night off, but uh, I'm just not going to go to the arena at all. And shit has hit the fan in Atlanta ever since. The Hawks have been in full damage control, as you might imagine. Ever since. In separate pressers, both men had interesting reactions. Uh, not shockingly, Trey was a little salty towards the reporter. Uh, this is what happened. Let's play it for you. We're all grown men here, and there's sometimes we don't always agree. And um, I mean, it's unfortunate that private private situations and private conversations get out to the public. But I guess that's what uh, the world we live in now. But uh, I mean, I'm just I'll just focus on basketball and focus on helping my team win. And that's what I got to get to refocus it on. But what's public was that you not at the game. So why weren't you there? And then it gets very testy from there. Uh, maybe shed a little more. Why weren't you there? Why weren't you there? Man, it's not you. Uh, it's not you at me, bro. Uh, I'm curious. I mean, you're leader of this team. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard for people who don't know the full situation to, to understand it. So. How dare that reporter ask a follow-up question? <laughs> I mean, it's, like I said, it's a private matter again, and it made public, which was unfortunate. Um, and if it was stayed private, it probably wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But Oh, you, you think you can just uh, ghost your team and it just gets, stays private? You don't think anyone's going to be like, hey, how come that guy we're paying $50 million a year to isn't at the game and he's not on the injury report? Uh, John, John Collins is wearing a boot. He's, he's right there. We see him. We see him. Where's Trey? You don't think anyone's going to ask about that? And all the youngsters, it's a different generation these days. I'm starting to feel old. They're like, oh, F that reporter. He's got an attitude. He's dehumanizing Trey by asking him where he was. <laughs> Listen, when you get paid $50 million, it's not just to play basketball. Let's be honest. It's, it's to play basketball. It's to rep the brand. It's to answer questions from the media. It's to grow the brand. It's to be available, be honest, be transparent. I don't think people know that enough. It's not just to put the ball in the hoop at 28.7% from the three-point line like you're doing right now, Trey Young. Like, it's to do a lot more than that. As an aside, is, is this the most salty interview in history, Trey? Did not want to talk to this guy. I, it was like Russell Westbrook and that dude from OKC. 
It was like that, where he's like, next question, and then forever he just ghosted that reporter until he left OKC for good. As for Nate, uh, he's been mad, as you could expect, especially at reports that he gave Trey an ultimatum. This is what he said. I address my team about that. I've talked to Trey about that. We're moving forward. The one thing I do want to respond to is there was something said about me telling Trey to not show up for the game. I will never, and I have never, ever told a player to not show up for a game. That is just false. John Hollinger, who I love from The Athletic, who's covered Nate all the way back to his Blazer days when he was making Brandon Roy the most disgusting player on earth to watch, said of him before the next game, as a longtime observer of Nate McMillan press conferences going back to Portland, I don't ever think I've seen him this animated. Yeah, Nate is pissed. There's a fracture in the locker room. Head coach versus head player. Uh, What's fascinating is the fallout. If you think that the rest of the Hawks were running to come to Trey Young's defense in this feud, you are sadly mistaken. Sam Amick was asked who was on the Who Side of Raja Bell's podcast and said, I love the question, and I think the answer is pretty clear that the players, if they were picking sides on this, to be honest with you, they'd be on Nate McMillan's side. I like Trey Young as a player. Do I? I don't know. Sometimes. <laughs> but I don't know how I feel about him as a person. But Trey has done nothing but feud with teammates and coaches since he got to Atlanta. To the point where Sham Sharanya said in the article that they were looking for Trey Young to be a more positive voice in the locker room. Like when that's the last, that's not something you just write yourself. That's a direct quote that isn't used as a direct quote, if you know what I'm saying. Does it? It's just even as, as outsiders are weighing in, like George Carl, who I hate, said this. I'm not liking the rumors. What a stray at George Carl. George Carl spit on me accidentally one time. He's the worst. Like, we'll just go. That's a whole different story for a whole different day, but he's, he's the worst. Why am I quoting him? Because I can. This is what he said. I'm not liking the rumors about Nate McMillan potentially not finishing the season with the Hawks. Nate is a hell of a coach and a person. There is too much player empowerment in this league sometimes. <sighs> There's a lot there. Remember, it was Trey Young who led the rebellion against Lloyd Pierce and got him fired. And now it doesn't seem like he likes Nate anymore. Seems like everyone's the problem, according to Trey Young, but him. As they say in the business, sometimes you shouldn't point a finger, you should point a thumb. So, problem is, a whole lot of his teammates seem to think Trey Young's act is getting old as well, and it's not the first time either, right? Remember, early in the 2020-2021 season, there was beef between John Collins and Trey. Pretty much spurred the beginning of the constant John Collins trade rumors that have persisted until this very, till this very day. Till this day. Uh, Most people were quick to label Collins as a malcontent, but the truth is, like, it's Trey. When it's every, every time there's a problem, it's Trey and someone else. Sometimes, listen, your entire organization is dick, right? Maybe you just have a bunch of terrible decision makers, a bunch of toxic people around you, and you're just, maybe you're just the canary in the coal mine. I don't know if I would consider Trey Young to be the canary in the coal mine, though. Am I close to the situation? No. Do I know people close to the situation who are telling me, yeah, Trey Young's kind of a punk sometimes? Yes. Shams reports that the Hawks have had multiple teammates to address the many issues facing the team. 
How many damn team meetings do you have? How many? How many do you have to have? Listen, it's all hands on deck here. What's the common denominator? The canary in the coal mine, Trey Young. And it's not if the Hawks are a bad team. They're the four seed in the East right now. Better teams than the Hawks have been derailed by a lack of leadership. Calling Draymond Green. Calling Jordan Poole. Calling. Calling. Lack of team chemistry is an issue right now for the Hawks, and Trey Young is at the center of both those issues for the Hawks. At this point, what's going to happen? I don't know. Probably more toxic shit. We'll keep you informed. Let's move on. Can we take a minute to give some respect to J.B. Bickerstaff? Because just three years ago, the Cleveland Cavaliers were an absolute jokeville. Just a jokeville of a team. A franchise reeling from LeBron's departure. Very little hope, it seemed, for the future. Bickerstaff was hired after two straight 19-win seasons and managed only to improve them by three games to 22 wins in his first year. And to make matters worse, Cleveland didn't even get a top-two draft pick, having to settle for the three spot. What are they, what's that saying? What's that saying? Um... Rome, Rome wasn't built in a day. Cleveland wasn't rebuilt in a day. The 22-win season in JB's first year turned out probably to be the best thing for him, right? They ended up getting Evan Mobley. Sheesh. I mean, probably the best player in that draft right now. You've got Jalen Green, no comment. You've got (laughs) Cade Cunningham, no comment. And the rest is history. I like Cade Cunningham a lot. I like Jalen Green a lot, but you know what I'm saying. With JB retooling the team to go with Allen and Mobley and Markinen, they doubled their wins last year to 44 and right now are 16-9, and firmly in the race for the East of contention with Donovan Mitchell by their side. Better yet, they are 11-1 and at home. They are the second-ranked defense in the entire league. They have a legitimate MVP candidate in my man Donovan Mitchell. 80 to 1 by the year, by the way, or 66 to 1 at the beginning of the year. And they may actually be starting four All Stars. Crazy. Garland, Mitchell, Allen already made the All Star game. And Evan Mobley, probably their best player right now. Who do they owe that success to? JB Bickerstaff. Why haven't I bet on him to win Coach of the Year? Not sure. Who has not only ushered in a new golden age of Cavaliers basketball, he's made players absolutely blossom. This is what Jared Allen said is how he interacts with us, how he connects with us players, making jokes, keeping us in line, the way he fights for us on the court, the way he'll step up and tell a ref how it should or shouldn't be a foul. He'll never back down from anything. Love a coach that got your back. It's very important these days. Have loyalty, have people who have your back. Never forget that. Darius Garland said this about why he loves JB. He's honest with me. I don't like BSing. Just be completely honest with me. If I do something wrong, I want you to yell at me. I want you to do the same thing that you're going to do the last person on the bench. I don't want, like, any slack or anything like that. Just coach me really hard. That's the whole deal with me. I mean, at this at the point when they drafted Garland and they had Colin Sexton, between the two, didn't everyone think it was going to be Colin Sexton that was going to stay? Didn't everybody think it was going to be Colin Sexton that was the all-star? At least early on. Darius Garland, the all-star, earlier than Sexton. And think about this, too. He's developed four young players in his three uh, years as head coach, and they've made all-stars. Garland, Allen, Mobley, and Markinen. It's easy to forget JB basically saved Laurie from the scrap heap in Chicago. Do you guys remember who Laurie Markinen was in Chicago? He was fucking nobody. He was, he was someone discardable, easily discardable. And he helped him turn into what he is today, which is I think probably all 30 teams would want Laurie Markkinen right now. He is ridiculous. Markkinen credited J.B. Bickerstaff 
for helping him succeed. He says he wants everyone to succeed. He's a great leader. Listen, like it's not like the Cavs haven't faced injury issues, injury bugs. They were a top three team last year, and Ricky Rubio went down with ACL. Missed the rest of the season. Missed 26 games last year. Allen did. Garland has averaged missing 22 games a year. Mobley missed 13 games. He has done so much, even when his best players are sidelined. I don't think we're giving him enough respect. Also, why haven't I bet on him yet for coach of the year? I feel like that's a really good bet. Mostly, though, what I love about JB is how he understands spacing. It's one of the reasons that the three-headed monster worked last year with all those guys that were seven feet or above. Mobley, Allen, Markkinen. It's a huge reason that Donovan Mitchell has been able to cook right outside the gates. People said they didn't want to see how Garland and Spider would work. They thought it was going to be horrible. Both having career years at the same time. I mean, look at look at Chris Finch and see what he's been up to. It's been bad. It's been very, very bad. As an aside, what does it say about Colin Sexton that he's the apparently the one player that J.B. Bickerstaff couldn't find a role for? Doesn't say good things. Doesn't say good things. Uh, <laughs> maybe there's a reason he's getting zero run in Utah. So, yeah, let's give some some credit to J.B. Bickerstaff and, and uh, let's point the finger maybe at what's up with Colin Sexton. Right man in the right place is what they said when he was hired. I think it's more than that, though. He's been really, really good. He's been a hell of a coach. And he's made the Cavaliers the team that everyone is afraid of and that no one wants to play. China. Yes, you heard that right. China. I wish I had like one of those buttons where I could make my voice lower. China. Uh, will China end up owning multiple NBA teams? Probably. Yeah, probably. Lost in the shuffle this past month is a decision that Adam Silver and the NBA made about who can own an NBA team. The NBA Board of Governors made a rule change that allows sovereign wealth funds. Anytime I hear those three words together, I start freaking the fuck out. Sovereign wealth funds? I don't know, like Saudi Arabia and the... Let's just look that up for a second. Endowments, pension funds, all can buy stakes in NBA teams. Why is this important? Well, because sovereign wealth funds are offshoots of foreign governments. And the NBA now becomes the first pro sport in America to allow foreign governments to buy into the league. Are we going to have some fucking international warfare inside the NBA? Whoa. Could you imagine? Who, which team would it be? I mean, it's got to be the Brooklyn Nets, right? Like, Joe Sy. <laughs> Joe Sy. We know how connected he is to China. Just made that up at the top of my head. Probably true. Who else would it be? Tillman Fertitta of the Houston Rockets seems like he would be open to selling the share to Saudi Arabia. Listen, I'm not going to slander anybody else, but I'm sure there's a few people who would do it. They could take positions also in up to five teams at the same goddamn time. If you think tampering's a b- issue now, imagine if, let's say Saudi, let's say Russia. Russia owns five NBA teams. Five. Imagine. What kind of trades are we going to see? What kind of free agency situations are we going to see? I mean, the, the opportunities for chaos are limitless. Limitless. And I don't mean the Bradley Cooper film. I mean, like, literally expand your imagination to how bad this can be. And 
Well, let's just go through it. Why is this a problem? Well, let's say the Chinese government buys a 20% stake in five NBA teams. We know for a fact that the Chinese government can just randomly decide to ban an NBA team if they're doing something they don't like. We saw that happen, right, with Daryl Morey and the Houston Rockets. They did this to the Celtics over the Enos Cantor freedom situation. So the question is, what does Adam Silver do when there's China owning teams? How does he deal with that? Does he take a stance? Probably not. Like, what happens when more problems arise with China when they own the equivalent of the entire NBA team? Let's talk about other prominent sovereign wealth funds, countries like Qatar, hosting the World Cup right now. Uh, Ask what's been going on in Qatar. Do a quick little Google search. Uh, Did you see any of these football players putting their hands to their mouth because they've been silenced by the government about the atrocities that took place just to build those fucking arenas? Imagine, imagine the type of things that could happen on our own soil if Qatar owned the fucking, I don't know, Seattle Supersonics. Be honest. I don't know, Las Vegas rattlesnakes. That would be fucking wild. They could put themselves in position to own and influence the league in ways that probably no foreign nation should. Here are the largest sovereign wealth funds in the world. Let's just go through them. One, China Investment Corporation, $1.4 trillion. I think they could buy a couple of teams. Maybe the Phoenix Suns. I don't know. It's hot there. Norway Government Pension Fund, $1.1 trillion. Abu Dhabi Investment Authority. Look at their human rights call it situation, right? $790 billion. Kuwait Investment Authority. Are you starting to get the chills? $750 billion. Shout out to Norway being probably the only one that's like, I'm accepting that. Yeah, let's let them be the only one. But 11 of the 13 largest sovereign wealth funds, in fact, are either Middle Eastern or Chinese. <laughs> folks, folks, I don't, I know, I'm, this is not a political podcast. You don't need my political takes. But I don't see how letting governments that are knee-deep, like I mean like like armpits deep in human rights abuses, having oh, any influence at all in this league. Like none. It's not a good idea. I don't Adam Silver is becoming very unlikable, is he not? This is something David Stern would never allow. And Adam Silver just wants to do everything he can to grow and expand the revenue of this league. And I tell you what, I'm not fucking here for it. Am I too cynical? Am I too cynical? Let me know your thoughts. I'm not one to hit the panic button, but is the NBA headed for a lockout way sooner than anyone expected? Because rut row. Everyone knows that the current CBA is set to expire at the end of the season. What most people don't know, however, is that there is a super secret opt-out agreement from either side that actually the timetable on is December 15th. That is, folks, seven days from when this episode is being recorded. An early warning that, yeah, we're done on the year. This is it. Like, after this season, uh, time for us to start renegotiation, right? Not this, not next season, but this season, right? Mark Stein broke it down perfectly. He said, an opt-out from either side in the next nine days will sound immediate alarm bells because, A, it essentially breaks the contract effective at the end of this season, and, B, it's a measure that instantly makes the threat of a lockout tangible. 
tangible. It means you can feel it in your hands. It means it actually is real. According to reports, the NBA and the MBPA are nowhere near a deal. And there could now be big-time warning signs that all is not well in Adam Silverland. Yeah. The issue right now is that the owners have started taking a very hard look and stance on what they call the upper spending limit. Just another fancy term for a hard salary cap, right? And there is no way, no way, that the MBPA is going to allow that. None. Zero. There are other issues as well on top of that. How moving the age limit back to 18 will affect rookie-scale contracts. But all that shit pales in comparison to the hard cap. Honestly, let's be honest. This is about our warriors. They don't want that shit no more. They're like, ah, 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 no, 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 no. You can't do that anymore, Joe Lacob. Lacobs are fucking this up. The Warriors are projected to have a team payroll right now, including the luxury tax, of $483 million next season and is forcing nearly every owner in order to compete to keep up. Which, listen, as a fan, I'm fine with Fine. Just make the rights deals go up more. Make the TV contracts go up more. I'll pay more for League Pass. You can pay those players more. And as a result, me as a media member, my paycheck goes up too. So I'm not mad about that. And I love the player empowerment era. I love them getting as much money as they can in life-changing generational wealth, even though they don't pay anything except for their team-issued gear that they take on. Like, I'm fine with that. I'm fine. But here's a shocking stat. According to Track, only five teams in the entire NBA, are currently under the salary cap. Take a guess at who they are. Take a guess, take a guess, take a guess. Orlando, <laughs> Detroit, Indiana, San Antonio. And the only one that shocks me is Memphis. Why? Why does that happen? Is because John Morant is still currently on his rookie deal, even though he's already signed his extension. The other 25 teams range from $12 million over to $78 million over the salary cap. And this is what the owners want to shut down. They don't want that. Do you think they want to pay extra? No, they do not. Even though they end up getting more from the rights deal, I don't know what it is. They just don't like paying players. At some point, $100 million per year is what they're going to have to pay. We're up to like 66 for Damian Lillard or something like that, two years for $127 million. That's where we're up to. When I talked to Jerry West, he said there will be a time in our lifetime. So he said in his lifetime, someone's going to get $100 million a year. MBPA. They're going to want to protect that. They want their pay- players to get paid. They want their players to get paid what they're worth. And the NBA continues to get more popular. It expands. Sovereign, sovereign wealth funds start to buy in. And you know what? Anything's possible when it comes to that. So I don't think either side is stupid enough to fuck this up. With media rights coming up in 2024, 2025, the year, the year after the new labor agreement would go into place. But listen, if the owners stick to a hard cap, folks, we might reach NBA Armageddon. Sooner than later. Joe Mazzulla may be the most interesting coach in the NBA right now. Outside of, like, did you guys see the the royal family quote that he had? We didn't even talk about that. Holy shit. Religion in the Oh, God, can't do it. Anyway, Mazzulla gave his first interview to Mark Spears about the Ime Udoka drama. It is a fascinating insight into who is running the ship there. Let's face it. There was no way Missoula thought he was going to be a head coach this early in his career, at least in Boston. He admitted this. He was like, yeah, I've always had faith. (laughs) I was going to be an NBA head coach. (laughs) 
I believed in myself, but I didn't know it was going to happen this fast. I didn't know what was going to happen in Boston. There's probably some sort of like, thank God for this thing. Like Jesus is, is supporting me and looking down on me. But how did he find out about the email situation? Everybody thinks, by the way, real side note, everybody, when things happen to them that's good, it's like God did this for me. So he did this against the other people too? Like it's like God wanted us to win. There's like some divine Lord's plan for why the Boston Celtics made it to the final or why you ended up being the head coach. Oh, yeah, did God step in and have Ime Udoka fuck somebody on the team so that you can get this job? Is that God's will? Get the fuck out of here. Anyway, let's keep going before I get canceled. How did he find out about the Ime situation? And what what were St. Joe's thoughts? When he, this came up, it was like uh, – it is what it is. There's nothing I can do about it. The only thing I can control is how I just go. Just because I know that for my wife and for my family, we're supposed to be here. We're supposed to. It's God's will. For us, faith is really important. And we felt like we followed God's plan to a T as where he wanted us to be. I'm sorry. This is ridiculous. And it wasn't even a thought. You don't have time to contemplate. Man. No way him referencing his wife and being a family man and being a man of God is not like a direct shot at Ime Udoka. Sinner! Sinner! Shame! Shame! <laughs> like, like, if Joe Mazzula had to stone Ime Udoka to death for this job, would he do it? Like, probably. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> Additionally, he says he hasn't com communicated with Ime. Of course he hasn't communicated with Ime. Like he's willing to turn his back on the guy that made him an assistant coach because why? Sinner. Sinner. <laughs> anyway, uh, he said he hasn't talked to him because after he got suspended, it was like we're not allowed to communicate. Does anybody believe that shit, really? Does anybody believe you can't communicate with your like colleague to be like, yo, big ups, man. Like, I hope you're doing okay. Nope. He's like willing to throw the stones and get ahead because it's predestined. Missoula. Let's move on, has 100% taken advantage of this opportunity. He has made the Celtics a really good team. He's a very good coach. Uh, there's no shade of him because he has been doing a good job in times of turmoil. They're clearly top two team in the NBA. They pounded the Suns by, what, 40? Two nights ago? 40. They are a favorite to win the title. But he is a fascinating dude. I don't know where we're at in society where this is like, it's starting to come front and center. You know, sovereign wealth funds, like orthodox religion, like this is starting to get crazy. He was asked last week what it was like to play in front of royalty because the prince and princess of Wales were in attendance. And he said the only royal family he acknowledges is Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. That was non-ironic, by the way. <laughs> like that was like dead ass serious. And he looked at him like, why would you even question that? And I'm fine with anti-royal family rhetoric. Totally fine with that, given all of the human rights abuses they've been up to. But, like, the only, only royal family I acknowledge is Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Okay. What else would you expect, though, from a branch off of the Bub Huggins coaching tree? When asked what advice Huggy gave him, Missoula said, don't fuck it up. That's it. Just don't screw it up. And that was it. But the reason I think he's successful is, like, honestly, is his philosophy. And it's not rocket science. This is what he told Spears. The NBA is a league. 
It's just a basketball league. The Celtics, if you take away all that, it's just basketball, leadership, and management. And so the same kind of systems, conversations, environments that you're cultivating at the division at any level is the same that you have to do here. There are just more people paying attention. And you know what? He's got, he's got my attention right now. Like, uh, we got to keep an eye on him. He's still got the interim coach uh, title attached to his name. So we'll see how that goes. And it's a shock, probably, considering how well things have gone in Boston, that it's still the interim title. But one thing is for sure, if Boston doesn't lock them down in the long term, the Brooklyn Nets might. Jazz. NBA Cinderella team. Let's be honest. Glass Slipper is coming at any moment. They're turning into a pumpkin any second now. You're about to guess what? Probably have the best situation happen to your franchise that you could possibly imagine. After a really, really good start, the Utah Jazz are still a pretty good team, but they've definitely fallen back to earth, right? 15 and 12. They're very good at home, but what we now know, according to the rumors, is that they are going to be sellers at the deadline, despite what Trader Danny has to say. According to insiders, they have got more pieces than Gary V looks at a car and thinks that he can sell, like more of those. They have so many pieces that they are going to move for the right price, it's insane. There are pieces that are, they are going to move for the right price. There's Colin Sexton, right? He's not going to get much run in Utah. There's Kelly Olynyk. He's been very, very good this year. He can help a contender, absolutely. That's why, that's why uh, Danny Range got him. You've got Mike Conley, right? He's got probably more value than Lowry, D. Rose, and Patrick Beverly combined. You've got Rudy Gay, who would be of interest to a lot of teams. And then you've got Malik Beasley. I think Malik Beasley's probably the best out of all of them in terms of just like what you can get from a like middle-of-the-road, high-end starter. He's going to be good for a, a team with playoff hopes. But two players now, all of a sudden, who are going to not be on the move that we thought might be. One, Lori Markkinen, who is just a beast. Just an absolute, out-of-his-mind, wing defender. I don't know what's going on with him. We'll talk more a little bit later in this episode about J.B. Bickerstaff and how he turned Lori Markkinen into this version of a beast on top of him playing for Team Finland, but wow, is he the kind of piece that you want to build around. Blossoming in Utah. And then the other player that's apparently not on the move that even shocks me more because I thought he was trying to get the fuck out because he's, like, such a pretty boy, and he loved L.A., which is where he got drafted. Jordan Clarkson. Jordan Clarkson is a huge surprise. He's he's not going to be on the move. I, I don't understand it, but I like his game. He was the 2020-21 sixth man of the year. He had 23 games of 20 points or more from the bench. But the craziest thing is he's one of the favorite players of the owner, Ryan Smith, because he never complains about his role. And he likes to play in Utah. God forbid anyone want to do that. I don't understand it, but it is what it is. So I think the Jazz are going to lock him up to a long-term contract, which is crazy, just crazy, because it looked like he was going to be on the move as well. So we know this, right? We know that the Jazz aren't a playoff team, probably. They might be a play-in team, but they might not, right, depending on how many pieces they move. But that's not going to stop this season from being a success, in my opinion. Danny Ainge is doing exactly what his nickname is, trade. Trader Danny. He has turned Rudy Gobert 
and Donovan Mitchell, and he will end up turning them into probably 15, 10 to 15 first-round picks. That's crazy. Like, that is nuts. And then you talk about Jared Vanderbilt as well. I mean, is he going to be on the move at some point? You could probably get a first-rounder for him. So props to him. He might have just put Utah in the driver's seat for the next five years. He's probably the new OKC Thunder. Uh, have the New York Knicks pulled the plug on this season? Because the latest reports coming out of the Garden are that there are not one, but four Knicks players on the trade block. We already talked about Derrick Rose being shopped. He's a veteran point guard. A lot of teams could probably use his experience, right, to run the second unit. According to Fred Katz, there are also three other players. Would you believe it? Uh, that are, the Knicks are looking to move. First is Evan Fournier. Shocker. Shocker. Uh, doesn't surprise anyone. He's terrible. Terrible contract. Terrible player. Like, probably shouldn't be a starter. Uh, he's a good fit on, like, a French national team. But other than that, he's fucking awful. His sh- shot spot shooting ability could probably help some contenders down the stretch. But the problem is he has another year on his contract at $19 million. He's probably a negative asset. Like, you, they are talking about trading other decent players with Evan Fournier because he's Evan Fournier. Like that, you're not an asset at that point. You are a liability. The most surprising player, though, right now on the trade block, Emmanuel Quickly. He was supposed to be this big part of the Knicks' future, but he's basically played himself out of the rotation. Tibbs doesn't like him. He doesn't play defense. He's shooting awful. Like, the Knicks are seeking a first-rounder in return for him, but then when you pair him with Evan, Evan Fournier, it's probably like uh, you receive one, you give one, who knows, right? Uh, least surprising trade tar- target is... And we knew this before he even got to the Knicks. Cam Reddish. Cam Reddish is on the move, baby. He was on the move in Atlanta. He was on the move before he got to New York. He is on the move. Trey Young, Cam Reddish, eh, same guy. Uh, <laughs> the Knicks are working with Cam Reddish to find him a new home. And the latest is the Lakers, the Heat, and the Bucks are interested. It took a first rounder to get Cam Reddish. Just don't forget that. Like they paid a first-rounder for Cam Reddish, and he is out of this team less than a year later with very limited playing time. Very interesting that Tibbs could, could never find an effective way to use him, which would make him the third coach in Cam Reddish's career to be enamored with his skills and yet somehow not find a way to use said skills on the basketball court in any way to have him win games. What does all this mean? Well, the Knicks are under 500 at this point. The East is a monster. We are hearing some whispers about Tom Thibodeau being fired. We're hearing a lot of whispers about multiple players being traded. Mm, looks like it's time to close up shop out in New York. Tickets for the Garden might just be going down very, very soon. Three folks, veteran guards, Derek Rose, Patrick Beverly, and Kyle Lowry, all rumored right now to be on the trade block. The question that I have, who of these veterans have the best value? Rose? I like Derek Rose. He's a trooper. He's a Tibbs guy. Does what he's supposed to do. He can give you 15, 20 minutes when healthy. Unfortunately, when he's healthy, isn't all that often. And how much is he getting paid? Checks notes. $16 million? That is a ton. That is a ton for a 34-year-old point guard with bad knees. Patrick Beverly also on the trade block, making $13 million a year. 
shooting 27% from the floor. That's fucking horrible. He can play defense. At this point, he has been the lowest-rated player in the NBA. Lowest in the NBA. Like, think about all the scrubs, and he's the worst right now. He's also 34. Finally, the Heat are now tired of Kyle Lowry. They have made him available for trades. Lowry, when healthy, whenever that is, or not dealing with personal issues, has been okay, but he has not been healthy, and he has not been available. Plus, how much does he make? $29.3 million. Wow. twenty. Imagine being that overpaid. God damn, I want to be overpaid like that. 36 years old, making $29.3 million, and not healthy, and not available, not much in the tank. There's always a premium on the point, so there should be some interest in point guards, right? Here's where I would rank them. It took me a long time, because I said to myself, which of these three would I want if I was a team? Who would I want to trade for? None. The answer is none, for all different reasons, but the, the ranking is this. Derek Rose, good team guy, good rotation guy, doesn't complain, can give you some buckets down the stretch, probably a great guy in the locker room, doesn't make that much money, probably that number one. Kyle Lowry, number two, because maybe you say I give him, I go take him to a place where he gets healthy, maybe send him to OKC for the veteran rehab program, and then they can ship him back out like they did Al Horford. Like, I would say Kyle Lowry's probably number two. And then Patrick Beverly, who I've always liked as a culture fit, probably number three. He's been awful. But listen, like I said, I wouldn't take any of these guys. Honestly, I wouldn't. Three guys on the trade blocks, and you wouldn't take any? That's bad. They make too much money. They do too little. Lowry and, and, and Rose, too brittle. Like, think about this. Gary Payton, what's he make, 12? Gary Payton the second, $12 million, making less than half than Kyle Lowry. I would 100,000% rather have Gary Payton the second than Kyle Lowry. That's where we're at on them. Someone's going to bite at the deadline because there's always a sucker in every single room. Where do you think they land? Let me know in the DMs or in the comments. Finally, Brittany Griner has been freed. Let me say that again. Brittany Griner has been freed. 294 days it took being held as a prisoner in a Russian prison. Not going to get into the background. You probably already know the details. Vape pen. Pretty much the only thing you need to know. Vape pen and Russia. Uh, we covered that on the show before. I hate people who are like, this is a bad trade. This is not a fucking video game, right? This is not like you put it in a trade generator and you're like, oh, arms dealer, too high of a price for Brittany Griner. Fuck you. Like, if that's you, fuck you. Say like, oh, is it traded for this Russian arms dealer? Bad deal, bad deal. You know what? Honestly, like back, back to what I just said, fuck off. You do not care about this issue. You do not care about Brittany Griner. You do not care about political issues and global domination and what an arms dealer should get back. Like, you do not care. Like, you do not care at all except for that it's Brittany Griner and you don't like Brittany Griner. That's fine. Do not virtue signal to me. The truth is, if you don't like Brittany Griner for any number of reasons, could be her politics, could be... Her sexual orientation could be her race, could be a myriad of things that I really don't care about at all. But 
The point of the matter is, is it fair that our, that our Americans that are still in foreign jails? No, it's not. That has nothing to do with this, though. Like, the fact that there is a Marine in jail right now in Russian prison has nothing to do with Brittany Griner. Zero. The U.S. did what was necessary to get Brittany Griner back. And the point of the matter is, if this was LeBron James, because Brittany Griner isn't LeBron James of the WNBA, but she's a top 10 player in the, in the WNBA. So if that was the case, top 10 player in the NBA, they'd be out in about 26 hours, not 296 days. So we don't want her having to figure out whether she's going to survive in the gulag for the rest of her life. Like the amount of trauma that she's probably going to have to try to rehabilitate from after 300 days nearly in a Russian prison is unimaginable. Adam Silver gave out the perfect response. He said, Brittany has had to endure, endure the unimaginable situation, and we are thrilled that she is on her way back home to her family and friends. We thank the members of the WNBA and the NBA community who never wavered in their efforts to raise awareness of Brittany Griner's unjust circumstances. Yeah, it's about the only good thing Adam Silver's done recently. And if you're using what should be universally celebrated as a way to try to coin political points, go fuck yourself. That is all the time that we have for the Heat Check. We'll be back Monday with an all-new episode. Check out the feed for past episodes, mini-episodes, all that. Uh, they drop pretty much every day. We've got interviews coming. Uh, we've got my dog in the background squealing at me. But the NBA is in on full swing, folks. She pooped in the office today, so now you know. Don't forget to download, subscribe. She's nine. And tell all your friends, every single one of them. Follow us on social at This Heat Check and at Trista Crick on TikTok. We will see you again, knuckleheads.